Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. Do you remember the story of Jesus feeding the big crowd with just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish? Well, of course you do, if you've been listening to this, because we just read that a day or two ago. But have you ever wondered why that story looks at it, looks like it appears twice in the Bible, right? So, okay, so he fed 5,000 people here, he fed 4,000 people over there, uh, so what? Well, the so what is that they were different crowds that revealed different things, and we miss it if we don't take a step back and catch the whole story. My friends, the first time it was to the Jews who ultimately rejected him, the second time it was to the Gentiles, and that demonstrates that God's kingdom crosses racial, ethnic, and cultural boundaries, and importantly, is open to all who recognize him as king. And welcome to today's little slice of this journey together through the Bible in a year, reading through every single word of God's revelation of himself. What This is episode 2248. Yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. And uh, this distinction, my friends, that I was just mentioning is is important for way more reasons than we can get to here because we're a Bible reading program and you know I get three sentences to kind of just set the set up the topic but I want to this is important so I want you to just dive dive in here with me for a moment the first time Jesus feeds the big crowd he's teaching his disciples through the miracle of the loaves and the fish that he is the true king a shepherd the true shepherd of Israel who, of course, is opposed to Herod, and that his disciples must be shepherds who act in faith to shepherd the flock. Now, then we hear about Jesus in a couple different ways, interacting with the scribes and Pharisees who criticize him for allowing his disciples to break with their traditions, their purity laws of the elders. And, uh, and he points out that they're emphasizing a religious ritual on the outside rather than uh, what's happening on the inside, right? Then we hear about a Samaritan woman, this unclean outsider who receives mercy. So this time around, as you're about to hear, we hear that the disciples are not anxious to feed the 4,000 because they don't believe that they, this predominantly Gentile crowd, should receive anything from God, right? And the Pharisees demand a sign that demonstrates why Gentiles should receive blessing from God, but the point is this, right? God's kingdom crosses racial, ethnic, and cultural boundaries. God's kingdom is open to all who recognize him as king, right? Jesus died for all. Not all accept it, but he died for all. Mark chapter 7, picking up in verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. Immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered 
Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. And they were all extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said. And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. And they also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About four thousand were there. And then he dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, Jesus said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them and got back into the boat and went to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. And then Jesus gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they were discussing among themselves what that they did not have any bread. And aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see, ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, Don't you understand yet? Anyway, that gets us up through verse 21 of chapter 8. And if there's a takeaway so that we can understand, it's, it's that God's kingdom crosses racial, ethnic, and cultural boundaries, my friends. And it's open to all who recognize him as king. Always has, always will. Now, as we turn to our Old Testament segment, uh, we are about to hear this place in the story of Saul where God runs out of patience with Saul. And while Saul's disobedience uh, that we read, I think it was yesterday in chapter 13, resulted in this shortening of his reign, here, what we're going to hear is God stripping him of his authority, right? His anointing is lifted. Why? Because Saul's pride leads to willful disobedience and his denial, his denial of wrongdoing and attempt to excuse his failure as a sign of worship, disqualify him as leader of God's people. 
And this passage is a fulfillment of Samuel's warning back in chapter 13. So today we're just knocking down a little longer chapter, chapter 15. And um, this is an important turning point in the story. Samuel told Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now, listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now, go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Don't spare them. Kill the men, women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep, camel and donkeys. And then Saul summoned the troops and counted them at Talaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men from Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and set up an ambush in the wadi. He warned the Kenites, saying, Since you showed kindness to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, go on, leave. Get away from the Amalekites or I'll sweep you away with them. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amalekites. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. And he captured King Agog of, of Amalek alive. But he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. Saul and the troops spared Agog and the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them. But they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. And early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself. And then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. And when Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And Samuel replied, Then what is the sound of sheep, goats, and cattle I hear? Saul answered, Well, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle uh, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. But, but the rest we destroyed. Stop, exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued. Although you once considered yourself unimportant, haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. It was the troops who brought back sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better 
than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed against the Lord's command and your words. Because because I was afraid of the people, I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. And Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And when Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed him by the corner of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Furthermore, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man who changes his mind. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so I can bow in worship to the Lord your God. And Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul bowed down to the Lord. And Saul, Samuel said, Bring me King Agag of Amalek. And Agag came to him trembling, for he thought, Certainly the bitterness of death has come. And Samuel declared, As your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. And then he hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. And even to the day of his death, Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted he had ever made Saul king over Israel. And my friends, that is chapter 15, and there's, well, I'm just going to let it sit right there. Don't grieve God's heart, right? The irony of this tragic story is that even after Saul admits his sin, his pride causes him to beg Samuel to make him look better in front of the elders by walking back with him, right? And that's uh, this sin, of course, cost him his kingship. Um, and that sin remained even after his insincere repentance. So now, tomorrow, the narrative turns to the beginning of transitioning to David's kingdom, right? That's a kind of a long, drawn-out thing. And I want to spend today just closing up by meditating a bit on David's heart. So we're going to knock down a psalm or two. Um, This is Psalm 40. And if some of this sounds familiar, it's because, yes, if uh, you listen to U2, their song 40 was based on this psalm. Psalm 40 for the choir director, a psalm of David. Kind of begins like a song of thanksgiving, but then, yeah, well, it becomes a cry for help. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, 
my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice or offering. You open my ears to listen. You, you do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. And then I said, see, I've come in, a, in the scroll. It was written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I see I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. Let those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. I, I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. My friends, that is Psalm 40. We're going to close today with Psalm 41 that kind of just, that, that just compliments that. Psalm 41 is for the choir director, also a Psalm of David. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I, I have sinned against you. My enemies speak maliciously about me, saying, When will he die and be forgotten? And when one of them comes to visit, he speaks deceitfully. He stores up evil in his heart. He goes out and he talks. All who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him, and, and he won't rise again from where he lies. Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. By this, I know that you delight in me. My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. 
Amen and amen. And my friends, that is Psalms 40 and 41. I don't know if it's super obvious in that psalm, but there's a distinct difference in David. You might remember in Acts 13, and I forget what Old Testament's quoting, and but we even heard, I think, Samuel say, God's going to raise up a man with a heart after him, right? In Acts chapter 13, it speaks of David as a man after God's own heart, right? God's heart is that his kingdom crosses racial, ethnic, and cultural boundaries and is open to all who recognize him as king. And my friends, that doesn't mean we're perfect. I think what it means, like David, because David did some pretty heinous stuff, I think it means we just come back. We turn back to Jesus. We say, Lord, I blew it again. I blew it again. And he says, I know. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, my friends. Amen.